Okay, okay, okay. Y'all can go. Thank you. Sorry. Can, can I preach? I got a word for you. I got a, a good word for you. I'm going to let you be seated because some of y'all have been standing up a long time. And when y'all have been, uh, th- she said, thank you, Jesus. When y'all have been standing up a long time, y'all kind of look at me strange. So I'm going to let you be, you know. But I got a word for you. I believe this word is a word that God is going to plant in your spirit today. I believe this is a word that God is going to rearrange what you are saying about yourself, what you are seeing in yourself. I believe this is a word that you're going to, that's going to cause you to remember that God has been good to you. I believe this is a word that's going to remind you who you are in Christ and more importantly, who Christ is in you. How many of you know when discouragement happens, when disappointment happens in our lives, we tend to focus, we tend to focus on our disappointment or our discouragement rather than the one who encourages us. The emotional trauma of disappointment in so many cases causes us to forget that we've been appointed. Let me say that again. The emotional trauma of disappointment causes us to forget that we've been appointed. Let me say it this way. For some of you on the job right now, you're frustrated. You're focused upon your frustrations, but rather you need to remember that God has appointed you for such a time as this. For those of you right now, you're frustrated in your finances. You've forgotten that he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He's the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills underneath those cattle. Come on, somebody. I need you to help me. In fact, before we ever get to the narrative today, I, I, I just want to show you something else. Can, can I show you something? You're here for the next few minutes. You are, you are held captive by me. So I, I, I want to show you something. First Peter chapter five. Th- this is this is this is not the narrative that we're going to preach out of. However, I believe this is a word that someone needs in this place today. This is probably my favorite verse in the Bible. If it's not my favorite, it's a top five. Here's what Peter writes. Peter, towards the end of his life, towards the end of his ministry, he writes what I believe is so powerful, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. And he says this, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Someone needs to hear this. After you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and make you firm and make you steadfast. And the God of all grace after you have suffered for a little while will himself restore you what peter is saying to us is that god is a god of restoration that god is continually moving and manipulating things in your life so that he could lead you to the path of restoration which is a characteristic of the goodness of god in fact it is the greatest characteristic of the goodness of god it's the very reason why god gave us jesus is because of restoration Restoration looks so different for many of us because for some of you, restoration is being restored in your spirit. For some of you, it's being restored in your finances. For some of you, it's, it's being restored in your relationships. For some of you, it's, it's being restored in your emotions. And so restoration looks different. But what Peter is saying to us is that God is restoration. Restoration is not what God gives. Restoration is who God is. God is. 
But this verse, I'm going to read it to you out of the message translation. Just one more translation I need you to hold here with me because this is where we get our title from for today's message. I'm going to read three verses out of the same passage. First Peter chapter 5, I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. I love the way the message says this. Here's what Peter writes. He says, keep a cool head. How many of you know sometimes that's tough? Circumstances around us are working against us and keeping a cool head is difficult. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only one that's plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith, for the suffering will not last forever. It won't be long before, his generous, before this generous God, who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. But it's the next line. He says, he gets the last word. Yes, he does. He gets the last word. How many of you know that when you are in an argument, you want the last word? God gets the last word. Mm, hold on a second. I need you to look at your neighbor and give them the title of today's message. The last word. Look at somebody else and say the last word. In the chat, say the last word. Look at somebody else and say the last word. Can I ask you something? If God gets the last word, then why is it that we are living by a word that's lesser than his word? If God gets the last word, how much longer are we going to live according to a narrative that we've created in our minds that contradicts the very reason why God says we exist? How much longer, if God gets the last word, are we going to continue to question whether or not God has been good to us when he continues to pour out evidence in your life over and over and over? How much longer? Listen, I don't know who this is for, but maybe that piece of pain that you have in your life because you experienced something that you should not have experienced when you were a child, how long is it going to define the rest of your life? Because God has the last word. Why is it that we can hear that we are saved why is it that we can hear that we've been healed? Why is it that we can hear that we've been redeemed, but we live in such a way that we don't believe it? We profess with our mouths that we believe Christ, but we live in a contradictory fashion. But God's word says he has the last word. Somebody look at your neighbor and say the last word. Now let me take you back to the narrative. You're going to see how this is going to come together because this is somewhat of a story about Peter. Can I take you to John chapter 21, verses 1 through 18? Keep playing for me for another minute or so. Sounds good back there, by the way. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 18. Just, I need you to hang here with me today because I truly believe God has a word that he wants to plant in your spirit. James, I believe God has a word that today... He's going to rearrange some things in your life. For all of us, if we'll listen, here's what happens. It says in verse 1, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. Afterward, meaning that the crucifixion and the resurrection has already taken place. By the Sea of Galilee, he ha it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Now, let me preface the next verse by saying 
For three and a half years, Jesus has been speaking identity into the disciples. For three and a half years, he's been telling them. He's been saying, Mike, you're a disciple. Take my word and take it to the ends of the earth. Do what I have done. He's saying everyone else has categorized you or characterized you by your profession. They're calling you a fisherman. But what you really are is a fisher of men. Jesus has spoken into their spirit. He's given them identity. You are mine. I chose you. You're my disciple. Now do what I have done. Go where I have gone. Be who I've been. And when they have an opportunity to do that, look what happens in verse 3. Verse 3, it says, Peter says, I'm going out fishing. (laughs) And the disciples say, we're going with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Hold on a second. So they have been hearing for three and a half years, this is who you are. You are mine. I've chosen you. You are my disciple. Go and do what I have done. Be who I have been. And the first opportunity that they get to do that, Peter says, "I'm, I'm going fishing. Why? Because the last several weeks have been so difficult for Peter. The last several weeks have been, there's been so much uncertainty just swirling around, so much difficulty, so much problems, so much stuff that he just can't wrap his brain around. He doesn't understand it. Jesus has been with him every day. Now Jesus is not around at all. And he's not sure if what got Jesus killed is going to possibly get him killed. So he said, I'm going fishing. The disciples said, we're going with you. And they fished all night long and caught nothing couple of things that we need to note right here some theologians say that Peter and the disciples went back fishing because they were going back to an old occupation we're not really sure that that's the case we don't really know why they went fishing but what we can learn from the fact that they did go fishing is that they were really uncertain about what to do next how many of you have ever been there you're just uncertain about what to do next What do I do next? This is so difficult. It's so uncertain. In fact, the last word that the disciples remember is Jesus on the cross when he said, it is finished. The last word that Peter remembers at this time is when he denied knowing Jesus. When Jesus had a conversation with Peter and he said, Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me. You're getting ready to come up on a time where you're going to deny that you even know me. And Peter was like, no, homie, I'll never do that. It's ride or die. I'll never do that, Jesus. Jesus said, you will. You'll do it three times. Not one time, not two times, but you'll do it three times before the rooster crows. No, not going to happen. And then at the scene of the crucifixion, someone sees Peter. Aren't you? Aren't you one of his disciples? No, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. He goes somewhere else. Oh, you kind of sound like a Galilean, aren't you? Don't, no, I'm not. Listen, somebody's already asked me that. That's not me. Well, oh, oh I, I've seen you. I know you. Aren't you, aren't you Simon Peter? No, I'm not. And all of a sudden, the rooster crows. The last word that Peter remembers at that moment is he's a failure because Jesus said, you'll do it. And he said, no, I won't. And he did. Sometimes, I wrote this down. I don't want to mess it up. So let me, let me read it to you how I wrote it down. Sometimes we give up on what we want most because how we feel right now. 
we give up on what we want most because how we feel right now. We give up on our dreams because they seem unattainable. We give up on restoration because it seems like it's just too much work. And the emotional trauma of what we're going through right now causes us to lose focus of what's next. So here's Jesus. He's coming out to where you're about to see where the disciples are at. Thank you. And he comes to the place where they're out working. They've been fishing all night long. And this is for somebody in here because sometimes we think that Jesus gives us a word at church. But can I tell you something? Sometimes he'll visit you at the workplace and give you a word. Jesus doesn't want to be just, you know, compartmentalized to Sunday morning. Jesus wants to be in all of, of your, your days. On Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday. So look what happens. Jesus strolls up in verse 4. This is where it gets really good. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. They'd been fishing all night. But the disciples, they did not realize that this was Jesus. He called out to them. He said, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Then throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, now hold on a second. Because understand, Peter owned a fleet. He owned at one time a fleet of fishing vessels. He had a partner. There were other people who were probably out fishing all night long. People knew Peter was out fishing. They knew that he was an experienced fisherman. Now here's this man strolling up on the shore, and he says, Friends, haven't you caught any fish? Well, you know that Peter and all of these experienced fishermen on this boat are like, I ain't want to answer this. Because all my competitors are going to know that we didn't catch it. We can't even fish anymore, guys. We, listen, we, we're not good disciples, and now we're not good fishermen. Don't answer him, guys. Jesus says, hey, friends, haven't you caught any fish? <laughs> friends. And finally, Peter has to say, No. Everybody's turning around, and they're like, ah, Peter's boat, he didn't catch anything. Well, throw your net on the right side of the boat, which has no logic, has no rhyme, has no reason. It's not even logical to be fishing in the daytime. All of these boats go out at night to catch fish, but now they're catching fish in the daylight. That's not logical. Fish on the right side or the left side, that's not logical. And it cannot be a... A lesson in trust because they don't even know that it's Jesus shouting at them, Matt. They don't know that, so it can't be this trust thing. And then it hit me. John's gospel is all about proving to the reader that Jesus is divine, that he is God. He starts out his gospel by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or in the beginning was the word. He's tying it to in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But then he says everything that was made was made by him. Meaning the water that the boat is floating on was made by God. The fish that are in the sea were made by God. Then it really hit me. What Jesus was doing was teaching a lesson to the disciples because they didn't know that it was him but he's teaching them a lesson that you've got to begin to discover the divine guidance and direction of God that may come in subtle ways Whew. 
the unsuspected ways that God speaks to you. Oh, this is good. Because this man on the shore said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. You know Peter's like, man, that guy is a fool. What difference does it make, right or left? He didn't know it was Jesus. But had he not done what this man on the shore had told him to do, look what happens in, in, in the rest of verse 6. The rest of verse 6, it says, when they did this, when they threw the nets on the right side of the boat, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Had they not done what this man had told them to do, which we know is Jesus, who gave them this subtle, just this, this subtle way of speaking to them, this subtle directive, they would have missed the provision of God. The unsuspected ways that God speaks to us. Hearing God in unsuspected ways. We come to church on Sunday and we want to hear from God. And that's cool. But God wants you to hear from him the other days of the week as well. But you cannot hear from God if you're not communicating with God in a healthy way. Can I tell you something? Communication has to have a feature that many of us don't like to do, and that is listening. We want God to direct our lives, but yet sometimes we miss him directing our lives because we're so busy telling him how to direct our lives. Y'all don't want to hear this. We're so busy telling him how to direct our lives. Listen, you cannot hear God talk and speak to you in unsuspected ways if you do not recognize his voice. That's the first step. If you do not recognize his voice, this is the voice of God. This word is the voice of God. If you're not in this word, it's going to be difficult for you to recognize the unsuspected ways that God is trying to communicate with you. This is the voice of God. When we read his word, we hear his voice. The more we read his word, the more we hear his voice. The more we hear his voice, the more we recognize his voice. The more we recognize his voice, the more we hear him in unsuspected ways. The more that we hear him in unsuspected ways, the more our net is full of the blessings that God wants to pour into our lives. God has the last word. The voice of God, I wrote this down as well. I'm not even sure if this is in your notes, but the voice of God doesn't become a directive in your life if the word of God isn't a priority. Identity in Christ is so important. How are you going to know who you are if you don't know who he says you are? How are you going to know? So we see a lesson that's happening here. There's several lessons. And one is, is this right or left thing, throw the, boat on, or throw the net on the right side of the boat, which really is, makes no sense. But when you think about it, in the terms of Jesus speaking to them in unsuspected ways, what really is happening, it's not a right or a left thing. It's whether you are operating with the divine guidance of God or without the divine guidance of God. 
It's not whether you throw the boat, the, the net on the right or the left. It's whether you are working with God so that you know where to throw the boat, the net on the right or the left. But there's something else that's happening here. So there's, it's God speaking to us in unsuspected ways. But then there's a timing thing that's happening that really just baffles me. Because Jesus could have easily have taught them a lesson not waiting until morning. They fished all night long. All night long, they're beating themselves up all night long. I mean, just all night long, they're not catching fish, and they know they're supposed to catch fish. Jesus comes out in the morning, and that's when they catch fish. Hold on a second. Jesus could have come out in the middle of the night, as he's done before, walking on the water. He could have walked up, Darren, and said, y'all throw the nets on the right side of the boat. That's where the fish are at. That's, just do that, and you'll catch it. And everything would have been cool. Oh, it's the Lord. We recognize him. He's, oh, it's great. He didn't do that. Instead, he waited until morning after they had fished all night long. Sometimes you've got to do what you can do before God will do what he can do. I don't know who that's for. <laughs> Throw the nets on the right side of the, of the boat. You see, there's a right time. God will bless you at the right time. You see, sometimes we just... <sighs> We don't like the fact that God doesn't bless us in our time, but how many of you know there's a right time to a blessing? Let me say it this way, and I'm about to preach. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22, God says, when the time is right, I will make it happen. The nets were full when the time was right. It just happened to be not a time that everybody else thought it was right. Oh, you're still not hearing me. Even right now, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples a, a lesson, but he's also showing us his faithfulness. You see, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22 says, when the time is right, I will make it happen. That means that God will do it when everybody else says it's not supposed to happen. That means that God will do it when the enemy says it's not supposed to happen. That means that God will do it when your flesh says it's not supposed to happen. That means that God will do it when it doesn't make sense. That means that God will do it when everybody else says it's impossible for it to happen. Why? Because God has the last word. Throw the nets on the right side of the boat. There's so many that it fills up the nets. But here's what's interesting to me. The disciples, when they were at their greatest, the, the need that was in their lives called for their greatest faith at this moment. But instead, they went to their greatest place of fear. And God met them at their greatest place of fear with his greatest strength. Hold on a second. I, I, I need you to grab this. They were telling themselves, we don't know how to do this. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't explain what's happened in the, in, in the recent past. We have no idea of what's going to happen tomorrow. We're way too old to try to start something new. What, what's going on? And then verse 7, a voice pierces through the fog that was probably present on the water when the sun came up. And verse 7 says this, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, who's writing this, so humble, It is the Lord, he said. 
And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. Verse eight, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. So John is gonna let you know that he was the first one to recognize that this was the Lord. Peter's going to show you his devotion by jumping in. John's going to also let you know that he was the one doing all the work because he had to stay back and try to get the boat to shore. There's a lot going on here. But what is so beautiful is that right in the middle of their humanity showing up and that needing great faith at this moment, they had great fear. And Jesus shows up in the place of their greatest fear with his greatest strength, and he begins to turn things around on their behalf. At this moment, they don't fully realize it yet, but now they realize that the reason why they have their nets full is because of Jesus. It is the Lord. I, I don't know if you're grabbing this or not. It is the Lord. He's the one who's the alpha and the omega. He's the one that's going to enable us to overcome. When they were at their point of greatest fear, Jesus showed up. I don't know who this is for, but some of you are trying to get through a situation in your life, and the situation, some of it has to do with your own choices, your own decisions. Some of it does not. What I do need you to hear from the Lord today is that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. All you have to do is cry out unto him, just like the disciples who said, listen, we can't do this on our own. You need to know that God is more than enough in your moment of weakness. Delayed response. <laughs> Verses 9 and following, I need to show you this. Something caused them to say, it is the Lord. I love that. Then came Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? John said, it's the Lord. Peter jumps out and he swims to shore. Then came Jesus. They had been in the boat, you know, complaining about who they were, what was going on in their lives, the difficulty of tomorrow, what happened yesterday, what are we going to do? Then came Jesus. Verses 9 and following. It says, when they landed, when they landed, they saw a fire, burning coals. There was fish on it, some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. We're not really sure what the significance of that number is. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? You know why? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came. You know, when God speaks to you in unsuspected ways, after the word that he spoke to you comes to fruition, you realize it was the Lord. Come and have breakfast. Who are you? No one would ask, for they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish Hold on a second. What you need to understand is that Jesus is trying to speak into their lives again with another lesson in identity is that you cannot allow what's coming against you, what's on you, to be more important than what I've placed in you. And right now at this moment, the disciples are living their lives according to what they see, not according to their faith. So what does Jesus do? Jesus gives them a lesson according to how they're living in the moment. 
He doesn't give them something that they can't see. He gives them something that they can see. In other words, he begins to give them a lesson in such a way that they can see the goodness of who he is. This is so amazing to me. So he breaks bread in a way that they know it's Jesus. He tells them, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. And they realize how awesome Jesus is. And he's doing some of the same stuff that he had done before. You remember the Bible says that he came not to be served, but to serve. He's serving the disciples even after the resurrection. They recognize that this is Jesus. He's doing something to their faith. What is faith? The Bible says that we walk by faith, not by faith. The Bible goes on to say that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. So faith is not walking through life with this assurance of what you see. Faith is walking through life with the assurance of what you believe. Can I tell you something? If you are looking for a sure thing, then you are missing out. That's not really living by faith because faith lives in perpetual uncertainty. Did you hear me? Faith lives in perpetual uncertainty. So when you find yourself in an uncertain season, you need to remind yourself of the certainty of God's word that he said, I'm chosen. I, I'm a disciple. I, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen people. I'm the head and not the tail. He's going to bless me when I lie down and when I rise up. He's going to bless me in the city. He's going to bless me in the field. He's going to bless me at church. He's going to bless me at home. He's He's going to bless me in my neighborhood. He's going to bless my kids. He's going to bless my family. He's going to bless my finances. I told you God had a word for you today. There's something else, though, that's happening in this story. I'm going to close with this. I know what time it is. I know at 12 o'clock, everybody's stomach just starts growling. It's not even your watch. I know it's your stomach. <laughs> but there's an individual story that's happening here. There's a story about Peter. In fact, if you'll look in your Bibles right now, many of your translations, the header for this next section, verses 15 through 18, is, is entitled, Jesus Restores Peter. Jesus restores Peter. Let me just read these three verses and I'm going to close. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Number one. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said again for the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Number two. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, he said, do you, do you love me? He said, Lord, you, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked him this question. Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. 
Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus in public. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me in public? The disciples looked to Peter to be the rock. That's what they called him. Dwayne Johnson thinks he's the rock. You know, it was Jesus and then it was Peter. That's, that was the pecking order. That, that's, that's the way Jesus set this thing up. They were all looking to Peter. Peter, he couldn't cut the mustard. Couldn't do it. When he had an opportunity to pick up the torch, he could not do it. And he failed. And all of them talked about, Peter, we thought he was, the, we thought, we thought he would be the one. And Peter's, I, I failed. I thought I would be the one. He asked Peter three times, do you love me? Because Peter denied him three times. He publicly denied knowing Jesus three times. Now Jesus is publicly restoring him in front of everyone. And so now Peter knows, hold on a second. I, I, I was broken, but now I'm whole. I, I, I was a mess, but now God has given me a message. So hold on for a second. Fast forward years into the future. Peter gets towards the end of his ministry, towards the end of his life, and he says, for the God of all grace, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you because he has the last word. He has the last word, and people may be counting you out, but la the last word of God will lift you out. People may be disparaging you, but God has the last word. You may have been living according to another word, but it's his word. Some of you need to let go of a lesser word. Some of you need to let go of the pity party. Some of you need to let go of the despair, and you need to realize that God is going to fill up your nets, and they're going to be full because he has the last word in your life. Somebody get up on your feet and help me give God praise up in this place for the last word, the last word, the last word. God has the last word in your life. For the God of all grace, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you.